I'm first going to speak about my husband's experience. I'll give you a little background. He was born in Germany about 20 minutes by train from uh, in a little village um, by train to uh, Freiburg. And uh, he always swore he would never go back because his parents were deported to Auschwitz and he was an only child. So uh, he didn't want to know anything about Germans. So um, I took him to Antwerp where I was born and I was deported in the same camps that he was deported from Germany to France first, Camp Wiesaus and Camp Kurs. We found out on a blind date. I said to him, what year did you come to America? He said, uh, October 46. I said, well, where were you during the war? He says, I was deported from Iringen, that's the little village, to Freiburg and uh, no, to France in the camps called Camp Gers. And I said, me too. Camp Rivesal, me too, from Belgium. I was deported to the same camps. I was four, he was eight. We didn't know each other. We just forward 18 years later, then we found out. We're now married, Baruch Hashem, 63 years. Okay, I'll start with his, uh, um, with his uh, story. The nightmare of World War II years began the morning after the broken glass. I realized as I recently was told on my journey back to Germany. Now remember, this is my husband's story. On that fateful day of November 9th, 1938, some 50 Jews, no, that was the next day, on the 10th, some 50 Jews, including myself, at the tender age of six, were paraded in front of the burning synagogue in our small rural town of Iringen. Soon after, we had to relinquish our stables and homes to the incoming infantry. Conditions became gradually worse. We had, to, we had to relocate to the neighboring city of Freiburg. Business and employment for Jews became nil. On October 22nd, 1940, most Jews of that region were deported to the concentration camps in France, close to the Spanish border, Camp Gipsalt and Camp Goose. Barracks and straw mattresses were the norm. Young children were kept together with their mothers. Fathers were put in separate compounds. The condition was atrocious, muddy, muddy pathways, food became very scarce. My grandmother, after six weeks being interned, died of typhoid and dysentery. By the way, the first 1,200 people that died in the Camp Gurs, they made them actually with the name, uh, a real, um, help me out, uh, a real uh, grave and by numbers. She was number 367. So when we went back, some cousins had gone back and said, just look for 367, you'll find your grandmother. And he was able to say Kaddish for her because he was never able to say Kaddish for his parents. They died in Auschwitz. Several months later, we were shipped to another camp. There, the howling winds made, made havoc of our lives. These camps were under the administration of the Vichy collaborators. My parents and I, uncle, aunt, and, and another family escaped through the barbed wires one night. We were able somehow to live on a farm for some seven months. We had a vision of a safe haven, but no such luck. 
We were then recaptured and returned to Camp Rizal. It is now in the middle of 1942 when the final solution was put into motion by request and under the command by not, none other than Eichmann in Marchemal. As many as a thousand people per convoy, including children, were shipped in cattle cars for their final journey to Auschwitz. Miraculously, my mother had the foresight to let a Jewish uh, organization that goes by the letter of OSE, it, it stands by the French word, Oeuvre au secours des enfants, organization to save the children. They saved 6,000 Jewish children from these camps, either in hiding, in convents, or in, in castles that they had, you know, emptied out and made dormitories out of it. Uh, this organization saved six, approximately 6,000 children, including myself, out of those camps. I inherited the title of the wandering Jew. I once asked a psychologist, how come I cannot remember the names of all the places I was at? She answered, when one is traumatized, that is very common. You want to you wanna forget. I will never forget the first orphanage I came to. Not only was I abused physically, but also sexually, which made matters even worse. Who do you turn to when the abuser is the pedophile, as well as being the director of the orphanage? The second orphanage, believe it or not, was a castle converted to a children's home. Until today, I still do not know if these children at this home were Maranas from Spain or Gentiles. They only spoke Spanish. I can pride myself that I learned the language quickly and still today can converse in it. My husband, Beli Aymara, is 90 years old. All through the war, food was a scarce commodity. I can remember eating a certain grass to quench my hunger. We picked berries and nuts while we were on ex out on excursions. I probably did not stay more than several months in one place. Another castle is added to my itinerary, and that was called Montintin, very close to Limoges. This home had a more Jewish atmosphere because I remember playing the part of King Achashverosh in a Purim play. These memories, these pleasant moments, moments that I shall always cherish. Can you imagine at the age of 10 years, I was the oldest child in that home, for I can recall on a cold and wintry day together with an elder gentleman <coughs> tracking through a foot of snow with a pushcart to pick up the bread in a neighboring town. It was apparent by the end of 1943, keeping many children in this home became very risky. The Ose, was worried for the safety of the children as the Nazis were overrunning France. In order to emphasize my point, on April 6, 1944, in the town of Isieux, by the order of Klaus Barbie, two vans were sent to transport the 44 Jewish children and the five adult caretakers to Auschwitz, where they were immediately gassed. Some children were scattered mm. about in convents, private homes, and on farms. Riding on a bus one day together with a younger cousin by the same family name, the lady accompanying us suddenly leaned over towards me, handed me some papers. She whispered in my ear, this is, these are your falsified ID papers. 
my new name became Charles Julien. His name is Kurt Judas. Um, and my cousin's name is, became Maurice Julien. From one instant to another, I changed from being Jewish to Gentile. Should you have a slip of the tongue, it could mean life or death. We were dropped off on a farm to an elderly couple by the name of Bora. Breakfast was some kind of soup with pieces of bread floating in it, after which we walked and attended classes in a public school. Reminiscing today the chores that were asked at me at the age of 12, believe me, a thousand dollars would not suffice for, for me to do them. For a festive occasion, I slaughtered and skinned a domesticated rabbit for the owner of the house to be able to make rabbit stew. After the rains, we gathered snails and caged them for several days, so they cleansed themselves. Hence, they were cooked in butter. Escargot, a delicacy in the finest eateries, but no matter how you prepare these dishes, they never turn kosher. One event that happened one morning in school remains very vivid in my mind. We had to stand by our desk as the teacher entered the classroom. He glanced into the wastebaskets and noticed a loose geography page. I have no clue who orchestrated this situation, but this page was missing from my geography book. The teacher reaction was, I'm going to get this Jew boy. He ordered me to the rear of the class and then told me to put my hands behind my back. Let me tell you, this guy was built like a fullback in a professional football team. He proceeded to slap my face from side to side, <clears throat> not once, not twice, but several times. After that episode, I never flung geography again, for, for I had all the geography in my head. I have to stop here and see something personal, say something personal about him. He came at the age of 14 to America to live with an aunt, with his cousin that he was during the war, and she took care of the two boys. And uh, he spoke German and French, no English. She sent him to public school. The first day, uh, the, the name Judas in French you, is silent, S, you don't pronounce it, you say Judas. So the teacher calls out Judas, didn't sound like him. So the kid next to him, Folks and then he says, hey, Frenchie, it's you. <laughs> but not finished. Four years later, he was chosen valedictorian of his class. Excuse me. Bombardments by the Allies could be seen and heard for miles. The smoke and flames rose skywards. The war years and the confinements were slowly coming to an end. Some eight months later, we left our adopted home and regretfully never looked back, for these people had risked their lives in order for me to stand before you and cry out, never again. Those years have vanished before my eyes. Survival was critical. And suddenly you came to your senses. You, re you realized you had a mother and a father. Where are they now? What could have happened to them? Why did my mother abandon me? I was alone. The war was over. And people of all faiths were dancing in, in the streets. No more concentration camps. No more barracks. 
No more barbed wires and straw mattresses to rest your shattered body on. I had a feeling that I was placed on a deserted island. I was alone. Like in a dream, I no longer had to play the part of a gentle youth. No more going to mass on Sundays. No more kneeling before graven images. When I cross my heart, sometimes I wonder why me? But I was alive. Off came the cult of many colorful facets of Christianity. But to my greatest disappointment, I tried to put on the coat of Judaism, but Alice, it did not fit. He only learns Gomorrah today. I mean, he's doing very well. <laughs> he caught up on the years that he couldn't go to Yeshiva. And, and I was a young boy lost on that island. It was like the world was on one side and I was on the other side. I was alone. Through my adolescent years, my thoughts found consolation and comfort. That sometimes, some, some days, sometimes, in some place, they will be strolling down the avenue of the righteous. We will, we will fall into each other's arm and once more we will be reunited again. He was thinking about his parents, of course. It is now 1945 and I'm sitting in the courtyard in my new home by the name of Lirondel, an orthodox uh, orphanage of approximately 120 children that survived the war. In my hand, I'm holding a printout in large letters of the alphabet. I'm 13 years old now. Am I retarded or have I been robbed of the previous elementary school years? I guess the second is true. My bar mitzvah is going to be soon. It will be on Pasha's book, Chokosai. My luck that year was a leap year. And those of you who are familiar with the Chumash reading know that Shani in that setter is approximately and probably the shortest Pasha that consists of six lines. Mm -hmm. I mastered that. Oh, yes, there were gifts laid out on the table of the orphanage office. It was a special occasion. It was not a catered affair, and we saved lots of money, for we did not have to mail out invitation. There was no family to invite. Mm -hmm. It is now 1946, and I'm ready for my calling. And as in the scripture, the Almighty told his people, upon wings of eagle, I will carry them and bring them to me. I came to America to live with an aunt, uncle, and cousin. In conclusion, let me leave you with one thought. That package on your back that you carry around, let me tell you, you never get it never gets any, any lighter. Yes, I am a survivor. That's my husband. You have any questions? I mean, you're not high school students. You're, I'll read my story and then maybe things will come up. Now, first, I'm going, I have a granddaughter. And I actually, I have a son in America, in Tina, and a daughter here in Harnoff. She has six children. The fifth one is getting married. Um, the one in, uh, my son has four children and three are married. So, he was an only child. I have two. I had two siblings. My brother passed away. My sister still lives in Antwerp, seven and a half years older than me, and uh, she has eleven grandchildren. I stopped counting how many great grandchildren. And I have. We have. My husband and I. We have two children, ten grandchildren, twenty great grandchildren, and the twenty-first is on its way. 
So Hitler didn't win the war. Okay, I, I want to share with you from my son, one of his grandma. Don't tell me the most important thing. Oh, thank God. When she was here for her gap year with her twin sister, one went to Shalavim and one went to uh, MMY. Now, I know both, uh, both uh, principles because I worked for 17 years in Yeshiva University. So they were going from Smicha, so I got to know them. Anyway, uh, one, the one that was going to MMY, one Shabbos, I had them both uh, at my table, and she says, Grandma, it's going to be uh, Yama Shoah soon. Would you talk in our school? I said, you make the arrangements. I'll speak. So she to so the other one said, what about my school? So I said, make the arrangements at time. 10 o'clock, I was in MMY. And 5 o'clock, I was in Shalavim. Mm -hmm. I spoke for both of them. So they were very moved to hear our story. So, you know, they go before Pesach usually a few weeks before Pesach, they go to Poland and they see all the camps and everything. Two twins to send. It costs now $2,000 for the one week. Couldn't pay it. So they didn't go. But she went to Stern, this one that's writing this. Um, and the summer after, she was chosen by NCSY to be, be one of the Madrichat uh, with other five Madrichat and, uh, and a director to take a group of 48 teenagers one week to Austra uh, Austria, one week to Germany, one week to Poland, and one week to uh, Israel, around the corner from where I live in Akhavia. Anyway, the year after on Yom HaShoah, I, I had come just from the school. I'd spoken uh, here. I opened up my computer, and there is a message from her. To grandma and grandpa, today I'm thinking of you and your family, the survivors and the ones who did not survive. Today is the first Yama Shoah since my trip to Poland. I cannot begin to tell you the emotions I'm feeling today, the sadness, the anger, the hope, the happiness, Every emotion I can think of is filling up my heart. To see firsthand Auschwitz, where our family was, sent chills throughout my body. And the day I opened the big book of names to see all of the Judas's family members' names, I fell to the floor and cried. The fact that I, a Judas, was able to go back to the place where so many of our family members perished. I was able to finally mourn their souls. They were lost too early. But when I stood up from the ground, I stood up to Hitler, to the Nazis, that we are still here and the Judas name is still alive and thriving. They didn't win. We are the ones screaming victory. We are the ones who are continuing on the Jewish blood four generations later. I also want to explain to you how proud I feel when I tell my peers that my grandparents, who are Holocaust survivors, made Aliyah and are living a beautiful life in Jerusalem. I do hope to join you one day, but putting that aside, the fact that you survived wasn't enough. 
you made the incredible decision to move your life to the Jewish homeland. You are victorious and are the true winners. Thank you for being my grandparents. Thank you for teaching me what the word strength and the willingness to survive, but not only to survive, the willingness to thrive and reach the highest heights. Thank you. I love you now and always. Today is, is a day devoted to you because you are my survivors. She is something else. So I wanted to share. This is not a third generation. My daughter spoke also in our show, but that's too long. But she, what it meant to grow up with both parents being survivors. And she, of course, we gave her our, because she knew the story, but she also added her feelings. Just a little example, what she thinks about her father, only child, right? And um, she said, she, she gave a marshal and she said, there was a king that owned a beautiful diamond, perfect diamond. One day he noticed there was a crack in the diamond. So he, he searched wide for a jeweler who could possibly uh, fix this diamond. Finally, a jeweler said, I can do it. And out of the crack of the diamond, he etched out the most beautiful flower. That is my father. Well, she had other things, but I'm, this stood out in my mind. Uh, now I'm going to read my story. My name is Adele Judas. My maiden name was Bogna. I was born in Antwerp, Belgium in 1936. I was three years old, about three and a half, uh, in 1940 when the Germans invaded Belgium and the bombs started flying. My parents, sister, brother fled Antwerp and tried to escape to Switzerland where my mother had a brother who, who had left Poland in the early 30s. But unfortunately, the train that we boarded which was supposed to take us to Switzerland. Instead, we had to pass through the border of France. France was already occupied by the Nazis. They came up, took all the Jews down, us included, and we wound up in these camps that I mentioned, Gus and Rivesalt. Luckily, but why we all survived, um, my father had a trade. If you had a trade, you had a chance because they needed you. My father was a carpenter. And by the way, I'm proud to say, I usually end it, but I'm, I'm saying it now. When we went back to Antwerp and we were reunited, there were three major synagogues. Today there have 25 shtibles, 30 uh, you know, different sect of uh, Hasidim. But these three major synagogues had been you know, destroyed. So they asked my father, to rebuild it with other carpenters. And he was so good that he was able to design like an architect and you could see what it was gonna look like. And uh, so he, he, by the way, uh, the, the Belgian Jews, the rich one, uh, started an organization for people like my parents who had their clothes on their back and nothing else um, said, for six months, we rented three hotels. You can go and live in these hotels for free 
and food and until you can put yourself on your feet. I imagine my father was already five years in the camps, the family separated. They hadn't seen each other for almost four years. He couldn't wait to be able to rent an apartment, but without a job, he couldn't do it. So when they found out he was a carpenter, he rebuilt the three major synagogues there. So I'm proud to say he left a wonderful legacy. Let me continue. Our family went through three different camps, Gurs, Rivzalt, and Brenz. My sister was 11, my brother was nine, and I was still only three and a half years old. During the following three years, I went in and out of these concentration camps. At times I was with my mother, and at other times I remember being taken to children's homes. One in particular that I recall was located in Beaulieu. We went back there, it was on the French Riviera. I mean, if you've ever been in France on the French Riviera, you take a ticket and you can ride the train all along the, the uh, seaboard and go down where you want and then go up, pick up the next train. So I say, when we went out in Beaulieu, my, my, my husband looked out and he says, I wish I was here during the war. It's so beautiful. I didn't remember it. Of course, I was, what, five years old by then. An event that stands out in my mind that happened in Camp Rivesalt one day after the morning appell, appell meant that we had to wake up at 5 a.m. every morning in all weather and stand outside the barracks until they finished their roll call. My mother and I found ourselves boarding the train because we were selected that day to be deported to Auschwitz. Now, that was a mistake. What happened was there was line A, B, and C, and every day they changed. They said, a today they go back to they're going to work b they're going to the concentration camps and c they're going back to the barracks and my mother must have misunderstood because the director of the camp had hired my father to he said you're a carpenter my wife is expecting a baby could you build a nursery for for my future baby so of course he was like an architect and he designed it you could visualize what, what it was. He says, you stay here. You're not going to be deported, nor your wife. That's how he's, they were saved their lives. So, and we were saved by this, by this Jewish organization and the Red Cross. Um, my mother and I found ourselves boarding the train because we were selected that day to be deported to Auschwitz. For some reason that I call a miracle, before the train was to leave, a guard came to check our names and could not find our name on his list. He therefore told us to get off the train. My father, who was a carpenter by trade, was very much needed by the Germans. They made him manager and supervisor for 40 other carpenters, and that is how he was able to survive the four years in these camps. My mother, consequently, received the privilege of working in the camp's kitchen which enabled her to get hold of a little extra food and therefore she survived. Not that it was food. I mean, you know what the vegetable is? Rutabaga. It's a vegetable. We had that every day. My husband and I won't look at it. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I remember the barbed wires surrounding the camps and with new with straw mattresses that we had to use as beds. From 1940 to 1943, I was constantly in and out of these of, of the concentration camps. To give you an example of the fears and inconsistencies that the Germans put upon us, one day they would gather men only and would deport them to Auschwitz. On another day, they would gather both men and women. I remember one day when they were after men only, my father cut a hole in the ceiling of the barrack, just big enough for a human body to go through, and he lived on top of the beams for two whole weeks. At the time, my family was together in that particular barrack, and therefore my mother was able to send some food through the hole in the ceiling and remove the waste. And a German soldier asked me where my father was. I knew exactly what to answer them. I certainly wouldn't look up in the ceiling. Um, I can only say that you know in instinctively what to say and what not to say, even at the age of four when it, when it is a matter of survival. In June of 1943, the OSE, of Osecours des Enfants, an organization that helped children to escape, helped us, my sister, my brother, and myself, to leave the camps, and we found ourselves on the way to escape to Switzerland. My recollection of that journey remains very vivid in my mind, even though at the time I was six years old. I remember traveling by train for two days and we wound up at the border of France in Annemasse, where we, where we met 15 other children traveling with one adult. I recall spending another two nights in Annemasse, where we, briefed, we were, where we were briefed and coached on what to do, when and how to cross the border, and what to say in case we were being caught. After being duly prepared for our crossing of the border, on the third evening, my sister, brother, and I, and this one adult, took a trolley to the outskirts of Anamas. By following our instructions, we wound up in a forest where we were supposed to meet a guide who would help us cross the border. By the way, he lived to be 104, this man, and um, he, he saved so many children over that border. I met him personally when there was a reunion in Washington of uh, seven Jewish people who had put their own life at stake to save the children. And they were all there, and two out of the seven had saved my, our lives, my brother, my sister, myself, my, my husband. So we, we were very grateful. I saw a, a documentary in the OU a few years ago, and uh, it's our story. But um, we waited that night, hidden under a tree, lying flat on our stomachs until all the children were able to join us. I remember it was dark. I was scared until we heard the footstep of the guide who arrived to help us cross the border. Before we could get to Switzerland, we had to avoid many obstacles. We had to cross over rows and rows of rolled barbed wire in total darkness in order to get to an open field. I remember that the older children helped the younger ones over the barbed wire, but by doing so, they also received cuts and injuries on their hands from the barbed wire. 
After the barbed wire fence, there was a small river, but it was only ankle deep. So the younger children were carried and the older children walked through it. Once we passed these obstacles, there was a clearing and a huge barbed wire fence extending beyond what the eye could see in either direction. My sister, who is the oldest of us three, had given strict instruction to my brother and myself, no matter what, we three had to stick together in case we were caught. My brother, who was very agile, soon climbed to the top of the fence, which incidentally was about six feet high. I mean, I'm saying six feet high. In my mind, it's six feet high, you know. Maybe it was five. Suddenly, he heard a voice saying in French, Haltela, à combien vous êtes Hold it. How many are you there? Uh, scared and frightened, my brother jumped from the six-foot fence to the French side and joined my sister and me in running and seeking a hiding place. We hid in bushes until the guards left with, the, with those who had already gone over the fence. The guide then explained to us that they were on the Swiss side and that they were safe. We then climbed over that fence and started talking in louder voices so that we would be heard by these guards on the Swiss side. The Swiss guards were used to this behavior already since many victims of the Holocaust had climbed over the same fence to try to, re to regain their freedom and escape from the Nazis. All the children were then taken to an interrogation office and each of us had to wait to be questioned. As I said, I was only six years old, but they didn't spare me for my, all the questions, such as who helped you over the border? And many other questions, which I don't remember. Finally, they took us to a place where they locked us up for the night, leaving us on straw mattresses and without any food. The next morning, as we looked out the window, we could see a school building across the street. A woman who lived in that building and therefore obvious knew why we were there, asked the children how many we were. She returned soon after with 19 rolls in a basket. The boys collected and connected their belts to, to, over the window to, so that the woman down, uh, could attach her basket with the rolls to the, to the belts. Um, since my childhood memories begin with concentration camps, prior to this experience, I didn't remember ever having eaten an entire soft roll. After another day of interrogation by the Swiss, we were then transported and quarantined for three months in a detention camp, during which time the Swiss government made sure we were not bringing in disease and to ensure that our relatives, in my case, my uncle and aunt, my uncle, had left Poland also in the early 30s to Switzerland um, and lived in Zurich, would take care of us. Unfortunately, my uncle and aunt could not take care of us. My mother was the youngest of six. The oldest brother was killed with his whole family in, in the Holocaust. There were five left. The oldest sister left for America on time. Then two brothers. One brother came here, Hasidish, a follower of the Sadiger Rebbe, and he lived in whatever Orthodox area there is. And so he didn't go through the war. Um, 
Unfortunately, my uncle and uh, yeah. instead they send us off to a children's home in Haydn, Switzerland, where we stayed until June of 1946. At that time, with the help of the Red Cross, we found out that our parents survived the concentration camp and have returned to Antwerp, Belgium. In 1946, after three years in the children's home, my siblings and I boarded a train with 1,500 children who had taken refuge in Switzerland and returned to Brussels, where we were reunited with our parents. I was now nine and a half years old. I had not seen my mother for at least three years and did not recognize her. When I saw my sister and brother embrace our parents, I held back at first. I did not recognize them. And I asked my mother, are you my mother? Of course, my sister pushed me. This is your mother. Give her a hug and a kiss. Can imagine the feelings of my mother, how she felt that I was not sure that she was my mother. My parents had been liberated from the camps at the end of 1944 and returned to Antwerp where they saw complete destruction. Nothing was left of their apartment and those apartments that were not destroyed had been cleaned out completely. My father, as I mentioned earlier, was a carpenter and therefore he was hired to rebuild the three major synagogues in Antwerp. As I look back on my childhood, I realized how difficult it was to be separated from my parents at the age of six. It was far from a normal upbringing to be a prisoner at the age of three and not know what the next day would bring. Will I be alive tomorrow should never be a question that a three-year-old need worry about. Although I, like many of us who went through the Holocaust, cannot remember all the details of my experiences what I do remember has left a scar of the past in my heart. Memories that should have been of parks, zoos, and birthday parties are replaced by barracks, beds of straw, hunger, and the fear of dying. The young, innocent years of childhood, with all the special attention, encouragement, and love of my parents were taken away from me. Yeah. You're very lucky that you were born wherever you were born and uh, that you had a normal upbringing. And um, for us, you, you can't forget that. You just can't. I'm now 86 years old. So as you can see, I walk with a walker. Everything hurts. <laughs> but um, I feel that living here in Israel, was our goal after the war. I, was, I went to Benakiva and there I was taught there was a matrich that followed every week uh, how many uh, illegal Jews with the help of the Mossad entered the country. I remember 1,600,000, 700,000 and Belia and Hara, we are 10, 10 million almost here. But we have only 280,000 survivors left in the whole world. So therefore, I feel I had to go through a horror. But God gave me a little gift that I can express it very well. I feel that way. I hope you feel that way too. And uh, that you should continue someday, either you are married or when you get married, to tell this to I met a survivor. 
it's the truth. This is what happened. That's why I wanted you to, um, to, So you have any questions? Yes. So did you say that you were reunited with your parents? Yes. Two years after no. they were liberated? No. Uh, one year. Why? Why? Because my father had no money. They knew we were well taken care in that home in Switzerland. We went to school. My first, second, and third grade was in German, Hochdeutsch, very fine German. I still speak it today. I go in a taxi and the guy says, you live here? I said, yes. I said, how come you don't speak Hebrew? I said, I don't speak Hebrew. Six, 16 years. The little Hebrew that I know, after the war, my parents sent me to a Haredi yeshiva. There were two yeshivas. One was boys and girls together. There they learned to speak the language. They graduated eighth grade. They spoke fluently Hebrew. I learned, our teacher, she said, the girls must learn some Hebrew. So I learned how to write, how to read, how to, a little grammar, a little vocabulary, but really not conversational. But I never forgot it. So when I came here, I said, I'm going to Ulpa. I have a base. I'll pick it up. So the director asked me on what level she should put me, what my background is. So I told her what I just said. She says, Kita Aleph. I say, okay, I'll be teaching the class. <laughs> I thought to myself, the French people were saying in French, what did she say? And I would translate. The German people, and I would translate. The Yiddish-speaking people, and I would translate. And English, what did she say? And I would translate. So after half a year, I realized she made us buy a homework book, and that was new material to me. I, As you can see, I have a bad chronic problem. It was an intensive Hebrew course um, uh, uh, course, uh, three mornings a week from 8.30 to 12.30 with a 20-minute break. Now, when you walked in the hallways, you heard all the languages, you know. Uh, of course, there were some were more advanced. They were the third and fourth and fifth grade already. But they had learned in America already uh, how to speak Hebrew. I never, uh, I never went to yeshiva. And, yeah, wait a minute. No, I was 20 years old, but I went to work. Um, I never learned in, uh, more than what I had learned uh, uh, four years in Antwerp. Mm -hmm. So the school still exists, and they all speak at least six, six languages, these children. And um, it's amazing. They change from one language to the other like this. Anybody else has a question? What was it like to be reunited with your family? Did your mother recognize you immediately? Of course. Your, like, uh, uh, six to nine? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she did. Like yeah. to then move back and live again with your family? It, so I, I will 
tell you a little story. My mother was a terrific, terrific cook and baker. She made a dinner to receive us. And in Europe, I don't know if you know, here too, maybe, um, you eat your main meal lunchtime. So we're sitting, the five of us, my father at the head of the table, and uh, he's looking at us and he's saying, I'm a multi, multi-millionaire. And I looked at him only, and I was only nine and a half. And I thought he lost it <laughs> because that apartment had still windows that my father put with, with some, uh, you know, thin boards boarded up because the bombs uh, uh, had uh, broken the windows. And somebody gave a couch, somebody gave a bedroom set, somebody gave a table with, with five chairs. I mean, it was a poor home, but he felt like a millionaire after four, four, four almost five years in the camps and being reunited. You know how many friends I had in school who came back either with their father and their siblings or their mother with their siblings. If they were young enough, they remarried, had another child or two, I don't know. Uh, it was World War Three in these houses. They didn't want to be disciplined by a stepmother, you know? So today I'm still friendly. We, we met actually in that home. Uh, she is 86 and I'm 86. And um, they separated me from, I was always at least with my sister. So uh, they put my sister with the teenage girls and me with the six-year-olds. There was a dormitory, five children sleeping and one bed. It was nine o'clock at night. Don't ask me why they brought me in so late. And I was frightened. It was a new situation. And, and my sister was not there to, to support me. So um, I was holding back my tears. And the woman who was our supervisor was next to a Nazi. That's what she, that was she. She was really not compassionate at all. So she helped me to get undressed fast, and get me into bed. She turned off the light and I put my head in my pillow and I started crying. There is this little voice next to me that says, what's your name? I said, Adele, don't cry. Here's a candy. Till today, 80 years later, we're still in contact. We still talk. And I helped her a lot with uh, getting claims conference money, pension money, everything, because she was not aware of all this. So she says, without you, I couldn't have made it. So we, who has friends 80 years? <laughs> you know, and we still speak now on the, with WhatsApp. It doesn't cost anything. So we are half an hour on the telephone. <laughs> I remember I didn't have a phone till I came to America, not a wall phone. If you wanted a phone, you had to go either to the corner where there was a uh, uh, phone or in the post office, they had a few. So otherwise, I didn't know what, what a phone was until I came to America and my brother had rented already the, the apartment. And he, the first thing he did, he put a phone on. I thought I was the richest person in the world. I had phone. So it wasn't easy, but 
I'm in a way, not that I'm glad that I went through the war. I wish I didn't have to, but that I can relay my story. And I hope that someday when you get married and have children, that you remember and, and relay what the Holocaust existed and was, and we met personally a person who spoke about it. That's it. Yeah. You're very welcome. Yeah. By the way, uh, I know I spoke here four years ago or five years before Corona. Um, whoever gave you my name? Um, yeah. I got it from a reading file. Oh, I can learn for but not, not now. Now it's on Zoom. My husband is not technology inclined. So I, I've once said, we'll go on Zoom. I'll help you. You know, he didn't enjoy it. You know why? Because when you sit and learn grammar with a bunch of uh, men, you can put in your input and, and, and discuss, you know, the, you get more out of it. That's what, what, how my husband feels. And just following the, the, the mouse 